Hello, and welcome to the Renwick Centre podcast. Today, we speak with RADPC's resident NDIS guru, Stefania. The NDIS can feel confusing and very frustrating. Stefania, today on the podcast, will help you to navigate the whole process from disability identification to spending the money on your successful plan. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Renwick Centre podcast. Today we are delighted to have Stefania with us from the RIDBC NDIS team. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Um, Yeah, so I have been working here at RIDBC for three years. Prior to that, I had some experience working at Variety, the children's charity. Um, I've been in the not-for-profit sector for seven years um, and the last three years, I think, have been the most interesting and challenging Um, while I've been working with the NDIS, uh, being at the forefront of that change. It's been very exciting and there's been a lot of learnings that I've really um, enjoyed. So it's been a wonderful experience. Fantastic. And I think interesting and challenging are the right words when we think about the NDIS. And so if we start with parents as the group, what is the best way for parents to start their NDIS journey? So um, really the best way, um, particularly for uh, parents of young children um, under seven, uh, it really is about linking in with the with their early childhood early intervention partner. Um, so depending on the area where uh, the parents and the child are living, uh, there are different community partners who specialise in early childhood intervention, um, and they've been chosen by the NDIA uh, to assist parents with navigating eligibility, access, and the actual planning process. Uh, so contacting the NDIA national helpline on 1-800-800-110 is the best way um, to link in with that early childhood partner. They will be able to tell you who the nearest one is. Alternatively, um, if parents do want to uh, go online, ndis.gov.au, um, under uh, contact, uh, the menu option there allows you to put in your postcode and it brings up the contact details oh, of your nearest early childhood partner. Yep. Yeah, great. Are there things that parents should be collecting as part of that journey? So like reports and assessments? Look, um, I think the early childhood partners have um, in the past said that you don't really need any reports in order to approach them. But in practice, what we have seen is that it is best to come with any diagnostic reports that you might have. So um, they might be um, a GP um, report, a pediatrician's report, orthoptist, ENT, ophthalmologists. Um, and any other therapist that the child sees. Um, And if the child is also attending uh, preschool or childcare, it would be good for the educators to put together um, some sort of report on what they've observed, um, if there are any developmental gaps or any concerns that they would like to raise that they feel the NDIA really needs to be aware of. Sure, so that would be considered the evidence. Correct. Okay. What kind of questions will parents be asked before they receive funding? Um, So the kinds of questions that they will be asked um, are around uh, some standard forms that the early childhood partners have to fill out. So one of the things that uh, might not be quite broadly common knowledge is that the partners and um, the coordinators that um, get that information from parents actually have to fill out very standard forms that the planners then need to look over in order to approve funding. So the early childhood partners would be making recommendations, but the person making the funding decision has never met the child. Mm -hmm. So um, the questions really are around, um, what does daily life look like for this child? What are the supports um, that are in place? So things like family, neighbors, community groups, 
um, what medical professionals are involved, what education supports are in place. And these are all very important um, questions to ask when trying to build a complete picture of the child as a whole. Uh, so it's not just disability supports that they'll be asked about. And really, the more information that parents can give, the better sure. it is for the planner to determine um, what is necessary. So never assume anything, just tell them everything. Tell them everything. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is really important um, is that uh, parents talk about the different areas of development that they have observed gaps in for their child. So um, really articulating where there is a, a gap. So, you know, for example, if um, for physical development, they've noticed that their child isn't quite developing the right cutting skills, then they really need to talk about that. Sure. Um, they really need to uh, say things like, I've noticed that other children my child's age do X, Y, Z, and my child struggles to learn those skills. Mm -hmm. um, the reason that that's important is that the NDIA funds the gap between where right. your child is and where they need to be, which is a little bit of a flip on the early childhood intervention model, usually it strengths-based. Yes. The NDA need to know about the gaps, which is very deficit-based. Mm. Um, sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about those things, but what we've found is that that is where um, the evidence is for the planners to make a funding decision. Sure. So you would use those gaps then to create NDIS goals? That's correct. So yeah. what is a goal or a goal plan? Yeah, so plan goals are um, what the NDIS funds participants to achieve. So as an insurance scheme, um, they really go um, for where there are gaps in current functioning. So the goal needs to identify the parents' hopes and aspirations for their child's development and is usually linked to an area of concern. So um, in, in terms of how to write a good goal, I would say that you should start by focusing on building capacity in your child to do things independently. Mm -hmm. um, so independence is a huge thing that the NDIS wants to fund, so capacity building. And then um, you need to include a reason why you want them to develop that skill. So, um, for example, if a goal might be, I'd like my son to be able to navigate his preschool environment, um, I would add the word independently in there, mm -hmm. navigate his preschool environment independently. And then the reason why would be so that he's able to freely engage with learning activities and in play with his peers. Sure. So really um, teasing out what it is that you want that goal for and mm -hmm. what is the outcome you want from that. And I would really advise to avoid being too specific about the goal. So I've heard parents say I want them to be able to say, uh, you know, a two sentence uh, a two-word yeah. sentence. Sure. Um, if your child happens to achieve that very early on in the plan, that would leave you very limited okay. as to what you can do next. So really broadening it out with, you know, what is it that you want them to achieve in the longer term, mm -hmm. which would be engagement with their peers, being able to access um, information with um, in the same way that their peers do, um, being able to participate in the community, that sort of stuff is what the NDAs is really looking so for. So parents are really going to need to work closely with their providers to come up with those longer term goals and, and some of the justification, formal justification around that. That is correct, yeah. And look, the NDA does have some great uh, materials on their website that are around getting ready for a planning meeting and mm -hmm. they get you to think about all of these areas. Um, but really having a sit down with the people who assist your child the closest, so your educators, your therapists, 
your teachers, and really talking through, um, you know, what, what are we working towards in the long term and what are the strategies we need to put in place in the short term to get there? Yeah. What about if the specialists have recommended something like a, a, dev- a specific device or a specific piece of software in support? Is it the same idea of this is why we need this particular piece as a, as a, because this is the gaps and this is how we believe this particular piece of equipment will support them? Is, are we still able to be that specific in terms of setting a goal um, or a support provision for that goal? So the, the goal that I would more closely go with would be something along the lines of, you know, for example, um, I would like my child to um, have access to uh, technology and equipment that will enable them to fully participate. Sure. Um, so that way, there is room for assessments to occur for different um, items to be purchased, not just this particular device. Sure. Again, um, the NDIS does like to see evidence of things being trialed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they might fund in the first plan might be an assessment to determine what are the technology and equipment solutions that are best suited for right. this child. Okay. Um, and that's usually a four to six hour assessment um, with some recommendations that the NDA then looks at and approves the funding for. Okay, yeah. yeah. So while we're talking about funding, are there set amounts that people can assume that they're going to receive or is it more um, um, individualised than Absolutely that? Absolutely individualised, yes. Yeah. So the NDS looks at the functional capacity as well as the goals and then also the supports already in place before making a funding decision. It's what is called the reasonable and necessary criteria um, and it's part of the act. So really they need to tick off the, the six different areas of whether something is reasonable and necessary. So given that no two children are the same, uh, we can then assume that no two plans will be the same. Of course. Um, so what we have seen is that even where children might have the absolute same diagnosis per se, um, parents may place different priority on achieving certain things mm-hmm. in different sure. time frames. So um, for some parents, the self-care part, so the child learning some independent self-care skills might be more important than the communication side of things. And for other parents, it might be the communication rather than the self-care. And so that's where you start to see a variance in the levels of funding. Um, And again, if a parent is very well linked with certain mainstream supports, with health, with community groups that might be already meeting some of those needs, the NDA might not fund for those things. So Mm -hmm. it really depends on what's already in place for that child and what goals the parent has articulated. Should parent, is there other evidence that parents should provide to assist with that, those, those funding, to, to ensure they get the right funding that's appropriate to their child? Uh, so again, really, um, while they're meeting with their teachers and their therapists, that's where you really need to tease out um, what it is that you need, the frequency that you need the supports in. Yeah, sure. So that's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to the NDA and saying, I need an occupational therapist doesn't really give them enough information about how often, when, what are they going to be doing with the child. So that's where you really need to tease it out with your therapist to say, you know, is it one hour a week? Um, Is it one hour a fortnight? Are there assessments that might be needed? And you start to talk about those things and what a package might look like for you. Sure. Once you receive a package, what happens then? How do you yes. how do you even begin to start using it? <laughs> so look, um, 
it, it definitely is a change from the old model of how you start to utilize funding. Um, previously, I guess you would just approach a provider and say, here are my concerns and can you help me? And then the provider would determine what you might need to achieve that. Um, the NDS has flipped that around a little bit in that uh, the parent receives the funding and it mm -hmm. is up to the parent to decide who do I use for what, when, how often, and through what medium. Mm -hmm. um, so what parents need to do is approach their providers that they feel might closely align, and you can compare different people, which is the advantage there, right? You yep. choose who your yep. provider is. So genuine is. parent choice is exactly. now available. Um, so what you need to do is negotiate a service agreement. Mm -hmm. Now that's just a fancy way of saying, um, here is a document that outlines um, what you will receive during a certain time period, how much it's going to cost, and what the provider's responsibility is to you and what your responsibility is to the provider. So things like cancellations and you know travel and what's included in an hour of support, et cetera, sure. um, are things that will be discussed um, during that service yep. agreement um, negotiation. Sure. Can parents go to any provider? So at the planning meeting, uh, you will be, so as a parent, you will be asked uh, how comfortable you are with managing the funding. Mm -hmm. uh, there are three different ways that funding can be managed. And what we find is that often they're not explained clearly. So I'm going to try and explain that, that as be best great. as I can. Uh, so the, there are three different ways that a plan can be managed. And you can manage a plan in more than one way if that is what works for you. Okay. Um, so the three ways, are, the first one is called portal managed. Um, and what this is, is uh, basically an arrangement where the provider and the NDIA do all of the billing between them. So all that is required of the parent is that they sign the service agreement to give authorization for the provider to access that funding. Um, and that's it. That's all that the parent needs to do in regards to payments or paperwork or anything like that. Um, it is then up to the provider to make a service booking uh, and to claim funds as therapies provided. So sure. the funding will never or should never disappear straight away. It should just be a quarantine of the money and slowly taking it out. Mm -hmm. So the only limitation with Portal Managed is that it is only able to be used with registered providers of the NDIS, mm -hmm. which not every provider would be. So your local speech therapist might not be a registered provider. Sure. It's quite a lengthy process. Mm -hmm. RITBCs, some of the bigger players are, um, but as, as we've seen, um, some people just don't see the value in becoming registered providers of the NDIS which is where the next um, option might come in, which is self-managed. Right. So a self-managed plan gives you the flexibility to utilize any provider that you feel is right for you. They don't have to be an NDIA approved provider? No, they don't. Interesting. No. Okay. So they don't have to be an NDIA approved provider, gives you flexibility to negotiate rates, give you, gives you flexibility to negotiate with your local speech therapist or your local OT, teacher if you're interested, teacher of the deaf, anyone that might be able to assist you. Um, the the onus though of keeping the records of what's what's been provided, what you can claim, etc., falls on the parent. Right. So the parent needs to really be confident with keeping those records, um, which might be audited up to five years right. um, sure. after the they've been claimed. Um, and the onus is on the parent to pay the provider and then claim that back from the NDIA, kind okay. of like Medicare. Okay. Sure. Yep. That um, makes sense. So that's. The, the flexibility that it provides is often incentive enough for some parents to take that one up. Mm -hmm. um, now, 
where we see that parents want the flexibility, but really the accounts keeping side of things is not something that they can do because of many reasons. They might have four, four children, they might have full-time jobs, they might have they might be too busy to do it or not have the capacity sure. to do it. Um, there is something called plan managed, which is basically a financial intermediary that I refer to as an NDIS accountant. Mm -hmm. Now, these people are actually registered providers of the NDIS, and they um, are engaged by the parent um, to keep track of the payments that need to be made, of the budgets, and make those payments on behalf of the parent. Again, the parent can use any provider that they wish. Mm -hmm. It's just that the um, invoice goes to the NDIS accountant. Sure. Um, so that is an option for those parents who want the flexibility um, to choose anyone they want to, but they really don't want to keep track of the payments themselves or make the payments themselves. Sure. Okay. Will the NDIS fund supports if other systems have gaps? So if a school has a staffing gap, for example, like I would really like to access a teacher of the deaf for my child or a teacher of vision. Mm -hmm. um, look, really the NDIS and part of that reasonable and necessary criteria outlines that where a support is the responsibility of another funding mechanism, the NDIS is not able to backfill sure. for that mechanism. So for example, where we talk about education, and the school not being able to provide something, it's really up to the parent to advocate um, for the school to make reasonable adjustments. Okay, yeah. um, now, you are able to, with the principal's permission, have a therapist come into the school to deliver therapy, but it cannot be related to the curriculum. So sure, it needs to be course. related to skills of daily life. Yep. Um, and with the principal's permission, you can have a therapist come into the school to do right. that. Okay. Yes. Yep. If the parent can't afford to pay a medical expense, would NDIS cover that? NDIS does not um, right. cover so medical expenses. Medicare. That's Medicare, private health insurance, or out-of-pocket expenses. Um, it does need to be covered through health. Um, there are mechanisms there. Obviously, it doesn't cover everything, but anything that can be covered through those funding mechanisms, it, it does then fall back as a responsibility of the parent. Okay. If a parent's interested in a community activity like learning Auslan or sending their child to deaf camp or doing a braille course so that they can gain the same literacy skills as their child, will NDIS cover that? So the NDIS is open to funding community supports that are disability specific. Sure. So um, braille camp is one that they will look at funding. Um, you know, writing for the disabled is another um, yeah, great right. community support that the NDIS will fund. The Rainbow Club, which is swimming teachers who are trained in disability, they mm -hmm. will fund disability-specific community supports. Right. What they won't fund is if you want your child to go to dance classes, um, the NDIA would say to you, um, a parent that, well, any parent that wants their child to participate in dance classes would need to pay for them. So sure. it's a reasonable expense of parents. But if we could explain that those dance classes are necessary to improve a child's balance, for example, if they have middle ear pathology or something like that, could that be explained within that context? Um, it could be explained. Again, the NDIS will go back to what is the expectation of a parent for sure. extracurricular activities. Yep. However, um, one of the things that has been funded in the past is, for example, to have um, a specialist go out to um, this community group and teach the coach or the teacher there how to deliver that, that sure. same session to a child um, in, in a certain way that might benefit them further. That makes sense. Yeah. I understand that plans go for 12 months, but what happens if something changes during that 12 month period? 
There are um, a number of mechanisms in place. Um, my first uh, my first advice would be to go directly to your early childhood early intervention partner and discuss the, the changes that have occurred. Um, they will be a best place to guide you as to whether you can use your funding flexibly to address some of that. So there is room for, I guess, uh, spending your funding in a different way to what you originally set out to do if things change. Um, the other mechanism that's in place is a change of circumstances review. Um, now, what we've seen is that if it's put through the early childhood partner, it usually goes through a little bit faster than if it's put through the general inquiries mechanism. Um, and basically, uh, it's a form that you fill out that outlines exactly what has changed, what the impact of that change has been on your child and your family. Um, and then it also talks about, well, what would you like us to do about that? Um, and that's where you go into, you know, we need to up the sessions because my child's not progressing as expected. Sure. We've identified a new area of concern that's actually impacting um, my child a lot more than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and usually it's good to use your NDIS funding to perhaps do a small assessment that you can take to that review and say, you know, here's what my therapist says about this. Um, and we need more funding or to change where the funding sits in a plan to be able to use it for the appropriate intervention. Sure. You are a wealth of knowledge and I, <laughs> and I know that some of our audience will be wondering, is there a way that they can talk to you more or learn? Can, RID, can the RIDBC NDIS process support families who don't currently work with us? Yeah, so absolutely. Look, um, RIDBC has a model where we have a dedicated team um, who support clients, staff, um, and the community to better understand the NDIS and how it applies to um, the vision and hearing space. Um, so uh, we have a team of three, um, and we uh, centrally manage inquiries through an inbox called the NDIS at ridbc.org.au. Um, now and we will make that available on the session notes so that people can access that again. Yes. Um, so RIDBC um, also has a, a phone line that they can call in, which comes in centrally to the team. Um, and that's 029872-0701. Now, it is our preference that you email us purely because we do have a deaf member of the team mm -hmm. um, who is able to help but obviously can't um, listen in on the messages or, or pick up the phone. So if you email us... Um, if your preference is to be called back, we can absolutely do that through the National Relay Service. You just need to email us, let us know that, and we will contact you back and answer any questions that you Fantastic. have. Fantastic. I'm sure that our audience are going to have questions, and please share them with us at the Rennick Centre podcast, and we will pass them on and no doubt hopefully have Stefania back to talk with us again. But look, for now, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs>